Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Good morning. Praise the Lord. I am Pastor Zach Guyton. Uh, I pastor Bethany Church, uh, which is an evangelical free church like you all. Uh, it is a 90, about a 90-year-old uh, congregation in West Orange, New Jersey. I have not been there for the full 90 years, um, <laughs> but I've been there 23 years. And Faith Church and several of the folks in your church and certainly your pastor and some of the other leaders have been a great blessing to me and my family and uh, some of the district conferences we've had here and just the relationships we built over the years. So, so grateful to be here. I guess I could say back here. I think I was here about 12, 12 years or so ago and grateful to be back and, and uh, what a privilege. I am used to preaching once, once uh, every Sunday and doing three uh, is just a real, real privilege. Um, but for my own sanity's sake, I better jump right in so I can make it through the third service. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 1, uh, we're looking at verses 35 through 39, and uh, we, are, we are meditating and asking for God's grace to, to embrace this, this theme that the Lord has given you all, praying and serving like Jesus. <clears throat> praying and serving like Jesus. I love that theme. I love the implications of that, and uh, I said I'm going to keep saying I'm going to steal it, and we're going to have it at our church very soon, uh, that theme fleshed out in a series of sermons and Bible studies. I have the opportunity to particularly look at praying for direction, praying for direction. Uh, if we are going to pray and serve like Jesus, this this need we have to, to pray for direction is, is crucial. It's pivotal. It really is pivotal in this step of following Jesus, praying for direction. Um, I'm not preaching to folks who I, I think are anti-Jesus this morning as the pastor has been teaching you all, but, but we all can fall into sometimes, even the best of us, at, at being curious about Jesus more than following him. And we need God's grace, and certainly we can, we can get into an admiration thing as Christians who get used to coming to church and hearing good sermons. And, and we, but we want God's grace to really follow Jesus, and to do that, we, we, we have to pray for direction like Jesus did. It's pivotal for those of us who, who want to influence this generation. And my guess is you wouldn't be here today if you... You don't have a, a heart and a burden to, to have an influence on this generation, certainly those in your own family. But beyond that, this generation, you're probably at least a little bit like me. I hope you're not as crazy as I am when I watch the television and how easily I can fall into just complaining and fussing at how sick sometimes and how, uh, how far, if you will, uh, the generation uh, behind us is, is, is exposed and we don't want to just be anti-culture. We can get into that mode. But we really want to have an influence. And if so, this, this, this truth about praying for direction, like Jesus prayed for direction so that we can serve like Jesus served. I don't have to tell you, you know, we live in a super pragmatic culture. 
As Americans, we have an opportunity for that more than maybe most of the world. But just to be so pragmatic and get that way even in our prayer and our prayer request. Uh, we are an information overloaded world and, and more so than we realize at the time. We are in a stimulation overload. And those things can make it a challenge sometimes to really pray for direction. When I got to pray for direction, I can figure it out. I'm a pragmatic American. I've got tons of information in front of me. I'm, I'm constantly being stimulated, even by the Christian market, if you will. But to really pray for direction so that I can follow and, and serve like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus so that we can have the joy of obedience. And how many of you know that for the Christian, the joy is in the obedience Or you can get happiness from doing other stuff and doing it your own way. But that sustained joy, that supernatural joy, that that peace that passes understanding that the Lord promises his children comes when we stay on the path of obedience to his direction. But we've got to pray. We've got to pray. We all want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear him say, well, you did it your way. You made it here. But if you would have only sought me for direction. Direction, right? I mean, we have so many things, and it's just not always black and white of how to decide. Where where do we send our kids to school? Do I send them to the Christian school? Do I homeschool? Do I put them in the public school? I said earlier, we we have... uh, I pastor a small church. Uh, we have a significant impact in the community, but our core congregation is, is relatively small, and we went through a, uh, several years there where we didn't have many small children, but we've been blessed recently. We have about five families with, with small children, you know, babies till three, four years old, and we have a fellowship meal a couple times a month, and they were just running around there last week, and a few people complimented us. Isn't it wonderful? We have all these children now, but, but the parent, whether the parents are wrestling with it or not, some of us are wrestling with, do I spank or don't I spank? What age do we give our kids a smartphone? That's not, that's not just in, in today. That's just not a, a casual decision. Do we have another child or do we adopt? When is it ta- time to downsize our living arrangements? And how do I best do that? If we're going to follow Jesus, I need his grace in, in making those decisions and giving us direction. Do we invest in this ministry or that ministry? Do we intentionally and boldly strive to build churches that enfold people across the political spectrum? It's easy to say that. It's easy to pontificate about that. But to intentionally and boldly strive to build churches that will really enfold people across the political spectrum Because if we do that, we're going to have to let some people walk. And we need Jesus' direction. You know, I didn't become a pastor. I was 36 years old. I worked. I worked in the secular arena. And one of the things I often struggled with and and still do to some degree, but I need Jesus' direction. And because we all have different personalities and styles and so forth, as I go to work, do do I strongly verbalize at work my faith convictions up front? As soon as I meet people, and as soon as I start there, and as soon as new people come in, do I, do I, do I, do I strongly verbalize my, my faith convictions 
to my coworkers up front? Or do I wait until they, they see my integrity and my work ethic and really like me? Then, most of us don't, don't, don't navigate that tension perfectly. We really need direction. We really need direction. If we're going to serve with Jesus, if we're going to serve for Jesus, if we're going to serve like Jesus, we're going to need grace to pray for direction like Jesus did. In our text this morning, if you take your eyes to verse 35 there, we meet Jesus, if you will, alone. We meet him alone. Of course, Jesus is never alone. Father, Son, and, and Holy Ghost. But, but as your pastor's been, been stressing in the first couple of sermons in this series, he's been pointing out the humanity of Jesus, that he really was human. He was one of us without sin. And so he's alone. We meet him alone. Let's read it. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We meet him alone. But I believe even in that text, I, again, I, I come from a, 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 those who mentored me in preaching and so forth would say, okay, you know, work hard on getting your understanding of the text and get your ideas and outline out, but, but make sure before you get up in front of the people, you ask God to preach it to you before you preach it to them. And certainly this, that's, that's what happened here. And oftentimes when I do that after everything else is lined up and I think I figured it all out and ready to deliver and asking God to preach it to me, he, he shocks me. And I tell my congregation that oftentimes there's something in the text that's shocking. There's oftentimes a lot in the context is shocking if we see it. But the Lord shocked me again. As much as I'm familiar with this text, I've preached this passage before and so forth. He shocked me when I asked him to just really, really show me, and he, uh, show me and preach it to me. I'm shocked that, and I think here's a hopeful hint as, we, as we're on this journey to pray for direction like Jesus praise for direction. I think there's a, there's a hopeful hint, if you will, right here at the beginning of this text, and maybe, maybe more than a hint. In fact, I only have two, two truths I want us to lay hold of this morning, and the one is a, if we're going to pray like Jesus for direction, we need a grace-filled vision. Grace-filled because prayer, if you like me, prayer, just the subject. When I got the subject matter and I've seen the theme you want to preach from, I have to be careful. Oh, I can just feel so guilty. I can feel so hypocritical because I know how, how much I've struggled in prayer. But a grace-filled vision of how tactful, patient, and persistent the Holy Spirit is with you and I even right now. I think we see that even here in the text. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If you read the few verses before here, you know that he's in Capernaum, and he's been up maybe all night or just about a good portion of the night at Peter's house, casting out demons. And remember, he's not just doing ministry for the crowds. He's, he's training some, knuckle, some disciples. Don't call them knuckleheads, but he's training them. They just, they just watched him. Remember, he healed Peter's mom. 
And he stays at Peter's house and people from all over are coming and he says he's healing and casting out demons. And certainly because Jesus, being who he is, fully God and fully human and the Son of Man, he, he, he certainly can see into the demonic world better than you and I can. But we, we know enough to know that it's real, that Satan is the master of lies and he's subtle. And, the, and these disciples have just seen it. He's casting out demons, the text tells us, and he's telling the demons not to speak. Who knows, he might be naming them. We know at one point in time he cast out a demon and he says to the demon, what's your name? I mean, you're watching this. And he's training these guys. And I, I, when I slow down and read text, I'm like, it's amazing to me. He just finished casting out demons on, and he got up and went off alone. He's training them guys. And what surprised me is he does not go wake them up and say, no, come with me. You, been up, you saw what I did. That, that power came from prayer. I'm training you. Get up and come with me. I'm, I'm the ninth of 10 children. My parents had uh, 10 children, seven boys and three girls. Um, if you know the story of Job, Job had the same, seven boys and three girls. And my dad often joked with us that we had made him like Job. I didn't figure that out to about 20 years old, what he was getting at. We were making him suffer. But, uh, you know, my, you know we, my parents, my, my father was a pastor and uh, two godly parents, even though we had a very dysfunctional home in many ways. But you know, we went to school five days a week. We had to get up early on Sundays to go to church. My father often pastored a good distance from where we lived. So, we had to get up. so Saturday, we wanted to sleep in. It was our day to sleep in. Oh, but mom is not having it, man. That was her day, especially with the boys. She'd come down, get up, get up. You're going to get up. You're going to clean. You're going to learn how to clean bathrooms because your wives are not going to be looking over their shoulder at me. Thinking I raise boys who don't know how to clean. You're going to learn to clean a bathroom. Oh, you're going to clean this bathroom. Come on, mom, can we sleep? No, you're going to clean these bathrooms. Your wife are not going to be looking at me like I'm crazy. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the baby boy, so my older brother's 18, and I'm like five years old, and that's all I'm constantly here because she knew she was training us for something. And she drug us out of bed. And, and, and I, I see myself, that's how I am. I, we, we're a small church, but we have, uh, when the, we're in the urban uh, part of our town and we're right next door to a middle school. And since I've gotten there, uh, it fell on our lap. We just had tons of at-risk kids hanging in our parking lot and we decided to open our building to them. And since then, we have uh, over 300, 350 uh, middle and high schoolers, most of them who would be considered at-risk who come through after-school programs where we try to help them in general and certainly introduce them to the gospel. Uh, but that's me. I'm constantly, I'm, I'm con- I did prison ministry when I was in seminary for seven years. I'm constantly barking at them. Kids who I meet in sixth grade, by the time they're in ninth grade, I'm in their grill, man, going, yo, 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 woman, don't you know in a few years you're going to be out of high school? You got to get a plan, man. You're going to end up in jail. I'm constantly barking because tr- I want to train them. And I'm shocked when I read this that Jesus is training these disciples. They've been up all night and he doesn't, he's, he's patient. He's, that's hopeful for guys like me, man. I mean, he's tactful. He's not like me loading them with guilt, scaring and frightening them. He's, and we need a grace-filled vision. I mean, if anybody, you know, I, I just have to mess. I mean, I, when I see this, I don't I mean, see this topic of prayer, I, I know the honest truth. I hope my wife's not even watching because she knows it's true too. It's so much easier for, for, certainly for people like me, but many for you all who love the word of God, it's so much easier to, to talk about prayer and the theology of prayer. 
so much easier for me to do that than to really walk the process and practice of prayer. And I mean, most of the time when I'm preaching a sermon that I'm stepping on my own toes, you know, I only have to preach that sermon once that Sunday. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, I got to preach this three times? God, you're going to make me feel like a hypocrite three times? As much as I struggle in my own life in prayer and praying for direction, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as being pragmatic as I can be. And if anybody ought to know how prayer can set the direction of life, in many ways it's, it should be me, and I'm, I'm shamed almost. And I need to have a, a, a vision of how tactful, patient, and persistent Jesus is. You know, I, I told the story, I got, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the seventh son. Five of my older brothers struggled with addiction uh, on and off much of their lives. I lost three brothers in the past three years. My 92-year-old mom is still living. Lost three brothers in the last three years. So my mom's been, you know, she's been reflecting a lot. And one of the things she keeps saying to me, she says, you know, Zach, I think, you know, God spared me the, the addiction cycle and some of the other things and give me opportunity to be in ministry and touch 350 kids a year and so forth. She says, you know, I think it's, 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 God, it's your godmother, my godmother, the day I was born, uh, my godmother had recently moved in with my parents before I was born. My parents already had eight children, four teenagers the day I was born. But both of my parents, hardworking, working two, sometimes three jobs each. And, uh, you know, my, my godmother was 81 years old, and she said to my mom the day I was born, she said, can I, can I have him? Can I, can I really take him under my wings? Can I be his godmother and take him under my wing? And uh, she was born in 1884. She lived till I was 15. She died at 96. But... She, she had had nine children. She outlived eight of those nine children. Uh, the day I was, by the time I was born, she had already outlived seven of them. I'd have been somewhere feeling sorry for myself and saying, God, how soon you She asked my mom, can I, can I have him? And she just poured into me. She just, I said, she just, I get, I get emotional. Even, I told this already. She just prayed over me. You know, I had six older brothers, so you know, the bully and all that. But she just prayed over me and prayed. I would sleep in her room oftentimes because, you know, we didn't have a lot of space. And I'd sleep in her room and I'd sleep in her bed. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and she'd just be over me, praying over me. God, protect him. God, protect him. God, make his life count. Make his life count for you. She was a godly woman. Had all seven kids, eight kids. And just constantly praying over me. And would teach me how to memorize scripture. My earliest memories, her just praying, Father, I stretch my hand to thee, know all the help I know. God, would you protect this kid? Would you provide for him? Would you make his life count? Make his life count? And my mom says today, she says, you know, yeah, I think it's her. She was prayers and how she loved you, kept you from the, from the addiction cycle, and God's made something out of your life. And if anybody should know how prayer can set the direction for your life, it's me, and yet I'm, I struggle. I struggle, and I need a vision of a Savior who, who loves and he's tactful. We got different personalities. Some of you, it's in the morning. Some of you, it's in the evening. Some of you, it's certain seasons of the year. I take four weeks, five weeks off every January, and I get a week in there where I just fast and pray. And, you know, but he, he'll work with us, man. He'll work with us. He's tactful. He's patient. He's persistent to pursue you that you might learn to pray. For his direction. Not only we need, a, we need to have a grace-filled vision of how tactful, patient, and persistent it is. If we're going to follow Jesus and get his direction, we need to, 
We need a holy appetite like Jesus had for his Father's glory. A holy appetite like Jesus had for his Father's glory. If you read the text, Peter is is very pragmatic. Just read verses 36 through 38. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, and the, verb, and the word is strong there. They're really searching for him. They're being, they're, 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 where's he at? I mean, he's been up, I mean, you know, all night, you know, and he's gone. Simon and his companion went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Simon, and Peter is just being pragmatic and logical. I mean, he, Jesus has been healing and casting out demons at Simon's house. Simon must, he, he's hungry for his peeps. He raised up his, 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 mom, his mother-in-law and whoever he knows in the community with issues and illness. I mean, these are his peeps. He's hungry for his peeps and there ain't nothing wrong with that, right? He's hungry for what he can see and feel and their needs and their wants. Sound like anybody you know. Because I can see it, I can feel it, I can... And he's hungry for those things. And so he, he, he's just being pragmatic, he's just being logical. Jesus, what, where were you at? You mean you did that all right? We count up, we're looking for you. The people are looking for you. We need more of this. He, he, he's caught in perhaps the cultural flow of the applause. And the cultural flow must be, if, I mean, Peter's doing this. People who didn't know him or people who barely liked him are liking him now. You got this guy, Jesus, at your house. He's doing all this. Imagine the applause. He's just going with the cultural flow. And we Americans, we, we ain't careful. We Christians, we evangelicals. If we ain't careful, we just go with the cultural flow. Because it's pragmatic, it's logical, feel good. Gets the crowds. Jesus burst his bubble. He's hungry for his people, hungry for what he can feel and see, hungry to flesh out his own pragmatic logic. And Jesus says to him essentially here what he said to the, to the disciples. Remember in John chapter 4 when they went off and they were in Samaria and the disciples went off to get food and they came back and they said, Jesus, aren't you going to eat? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of my father. It's my very meat. It's my very sustenance. My appetite ain't satisfied until I'm doing the will of my Father. The appetite is a powerful thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The appetite is a powerful thing. It can be trained, awakened and stimulated. Again, I'm the ninth of ten children. My parents had to work two jobs each sometimes to feed us. And I grew up in a home. They said, oh, you're going to eat that food. Oh, you're going to eat them vegetables. That was the one. Oh, you're going to eat them vegetables. And y'all ain't going to eat them. You're going to eat them and learn to like them. That was the rule in our house. You're going to eat those vegetables and you're going to learn to like them. I thought they were crazy, but as I grew up, I understood what they're saying. The appetite can be trained. It can be awakened. It can be stimulated. I, I, I tell the story sometimes, you know, shortly after I was married, this was driven home to me even more. My wife, I married a wonderful Jamaican woman who can cook and that good spicy food and that smells and all. And as soon as we got married, we moved from Philadelphia down to uh, South Carolina so I could start seminary and 
She went to nursing school, and we were busy schedule. I'd be in school much of the day, and then shoot home, and she'd have a nice bowl of plate of uh, good, good Jamaican food, or even, and, and I would run off to work. I worked in a job in afternoon and evenings, and my big treat was at dinner time. I'd go throw that plate in the oven and, and, and just make everybody jealous. <laughs> I'd smell it up in there. And uh, one night, shortly after we had, we had gotten married and lived in there, she made the food for me, and I go put it in the, in the microwave there. And as I'm turning around, I dropped it on the floor. And you know, some of you, when you come from a family of nine, ten children, ain't nothing to pick food up off the floor and eat it, right? <laughs> if I was at home, I'd have ate it. And I gave it a thought, but I, really, I like to pray over my food, but at that, that job and those floors, I wasn't going to eat that food. And so uh, I got a sandwich or something, bought, bought a sandwich or something. And she called me, gave me her night call later. How you doing at work and all? And we're talking for a minute or two. And she said, you sound really down. What's wrong? I said, you know that food you made for me? You're not going to believe what happened. I dropped it on the floor. She said, oh, so you didn't get anything to eat? I said, no, I got a sandwich. And all. She said, what's the big deal? You, you ate. I said, honey. Once my appetite was awakened to the smell of that food, nothing else could satisfy me. Nothing else could satisfy. And you and I have to, have to meditate on that truth. We have not only a grace-filled Savior, we need a grace-filled vision of a tactful, patient, persistent Savior who pursues us, but you and I have the promises of God. That should be stimulating and awaking us constantly and consistently to pursue God's glory because therein lies our joy. You can get happiness from happenings. You can get happiness going off of your own direction. But that joy of the Lord that he promises us in the midst of, in spite of, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That joy comes when we, we are pursuing God's glory. We have the, even more than Peter, they hadn't seen the cross, they hadn't seen the resurrection yet, they had the coming of the Spirit yet. We've got the promises of God, more powerful than the smell of my wife's food, warming up in that microwave. And once our appetite is awakened to the promises, our soul, our spiritual appetite, nothing else. Nothing this world offers us. My own way of doing this, setting my own direction, just can't satisfy. I've had enough failure doing that. You know some of the promises. He says, Matthew 5, let your light so shine amongst men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Promises of God. In the text here, you know, when he goes on to say, when Jesus t- says to him, he, come, on, come on back with me, Jesus, come on, Jesus, let's go to other places. We see the way God seeks to be glorified here and in our lives, but certainly what he's emphasizing here is, is he's, God is glorified most here by making him known to those who are least likely to have an opportunity to see and hear him. He's saying, Peter, I mean, not that he's indifferent to, to, the, to, to Peter's desire and, and the needs that are still there in Capernaum, but God is glorified when people who are least likely to have an opportunity to even hear about him, to see him. 
some of your co-workers. I know they're in America, but some of your co-workers, the real Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus, the authentic, not, not the one they can get Joel Osteen and somebody on TV. I'm talking about the real Jesus. I'm not talking about the one that the media has made into some social, political, evangelical. I'm talking about the real Jesus. Pastor ain't talking, so anything I say is my, my, was on me. He didn't tell me to say anything, so don't blame him for anything I say that ain't in line. Mm-hmm. Glorified by making him known to those who are likely to have an opportunity to see and hear. That might be somebody right in your own family. That might be somebody in your own home. That may be that child you raised and did send to, to, to Christian school. And no matter how much you tried for them to see grace, for whatever reasons, we miss it. We miss it. And now they're an adult, and it's you living it out, praying for direction. One child you can treat this way, another child you have to treat that way. But you need his direction. You have to pray. Even the very trials we go through, the fact the Bible tells us, are for him to shape that appetite. To stimulate it, to fashion it. We, we know that from the problem. He says this things like this in 2 Corinthians 4. These light, I mean, they're really going through something. Paul and him are really going through something. He says, but these light and momentary afflictions. Light and momentary. I mean, I mean they were big stuff, man. Christian being persecuted, losing their lives. All their possessions. I mean, you read in Hebrews there, the church, all of their possessions taken. Because they name the name of Christ. And Paul comes along through the power of the Holy Spirit writing. He says, these light momentary afflictions are working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let your spiritual appetite, let your soul be awake. Stimulate it. To realize he's even using the trial. You said 2 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 12 there when he says, Paul says, I beg God, I pleaded with him. I was praying saying, God, give me direction. The direction seems that you would fix this. You would fix it. And I pleaded with God three times. God, I'm praying for direction. The direction I'm telling you, God, is fix it and fix it now. That's the direction I'm telling you. He said, but God came back and said, Paul, Paul here's my direction. That thorn in your flesh is okay, Paul, because my grace is sufficient. That's the promise. My grace is sufficient. And Paul said, you know what I realized? I realized that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Paul said, therefore, I'll glory, I will glory, I will boast in the direction of God. We have to remember that just like the appetite can be stimulated and awakened, it can be dulled and quenched with sugar-coated poison if we're not careful. And again, in a culture like America where we're over- uh, we, we have an uh, information overload and uh, stimulation overload. We need God's grace to help us see and to recognize and to own it. Sometimes we see it right now. We just don't own it because it tastes so sweet going down. Own the sugar-coated poison that is often dulling our senses for the glory of God. And therefore, our, our burden and our passion to press in and plead for his his direction. What are the things, the cultural tendencies, the patterns you might be facing that affect your appetite? I'm going to leave it at that. I got another one to go. (laughs) I'm going to invite the worship team forward to, to lead us.